It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, everybody. It's Out of Darkness Into the Light. And if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're very privileged because um, most people are not supposed to hear this. Because we're talking about the sign in the sky. And um, by the way, Linda, we do all kinds of you know private podcasts. We record them. And uh, we don't put them up you know, for people to see them. And... Um, Generally, the only person that listens to him is me. <laughs> so, so Linda's in the chat room. She um, is just replying to me in text, so you won't hear her at any point. But um, I told her about the sign in the sky last week, and then she went out and saw it. It's not that hard to see. You know, you didn't have to wait, you know, week after week. And some people do lose focus, like if they don't see it the first night, you know, Anyway, so she asked me, um, what does it mean? And uh, you could create a whole podcast on that. <laughs> now, you have to understand, Linda, there's two different types of uh, cosmology. You know, we don't use the word cosmology too much in church. But it basically has to do with the nature or structure of reality. <clears throat> So um, in the ancient world, um, they all agreed across the board, and everybody agrees on this. We don't we don't debate this. Um, everybody believes that um, they held to what's called a geocentric cosmology. I'm going to type that in the room. Geocentric, and that basically means that the Earth is at the center of what most people would call the universe. Now, the word universe is not really compatible with um, the Bible. And because once you see that the uh, the moon and the sun are very small, you're seriously starting to question, you know, how, how big is this universe, you know? So there's actually, uh, I think it's, you know, a limitless reality out there but the little cosmos that we live in is contained within it. So there's a greater reality out there. And people would say, well, Dave, you know, I, uh, you've got an inferior cosmology there. And I would say, no, you have the inferior one because um, the one they have in science, the one they sell you on, it's a materialistic realm. They don't even acknowledge the etheric realm that lies right behind it, right behind the molecular structure. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, that's what we call science, you know. It's just this cold, mechanistic universe. That's what they sell you on. And they're they're covering things up. But um, the the greater reality out there is far superior to that. And the reason it's superior 
is because spirit is is superior to matter. Now, we have problems in Christianity with the word spirit. We tend to think uh, if the Bible says something is a spirit, we think it's kind of like a ghost, you know. But the Bible says that angels are spirits. It says they're ministering spirits. And um, Paul says that they have um, they have bodies. They have heavenly bodies, he says. And what a heavenly body is, it's a body that's compatible with its environment. Uh, it's, a, it's a subtle body. It's similar to Christ's resurrection body. So if you're on earth, you have an earthly body. If you're in heaven, you have a heavenly body. And we believe in a superior realm. And uh, in that superior realm, um, they have an uh, even superior body that's even more subtle. But it's still, it's still a body. Now, most Christians would disagree with me on this. You'll hear this repeated over and over again. This this terminology that um, talks about um, uh, demons are disembodied spirits. How many times have you heard that? <clears throat> demons are disembodied spirits. But um, <clears throat> if you can get to the point that um, you understand that an angel has a heavenly body, then uh, you're in the right place to realize that demons have what we could call a celestial body. Because all they are is basically uh, what's called a reprobate spirit. The Bible talks about uh, elect angels. And they're both spirits. You know what I mean? And um, a demon is more of a lowly type being that dwells in this you know, hierarchy associated with uh, Satan. And Linda's preterist, so she thinks that that only applies well, before the temple was destroyed. I believe that's probably what she would believe. And then after that, uh, these things were apparently destroyed. So what I'm saying, it still applies back to when you believe demons existed or whatever. I, I could go and make a case that the demons have uh they actually have a body. Everything has a body. There's nothing that says like just like a you know, ethereal spirit. But you can understand why curses would think that demons don't have bodies. But anyway, your body is compatible with your uh your environment. That's that's what's important to understand. Anyway, what was they talking about? So um anyway, the geocentric universe or cosmology is um in the ancient world they uh they believed that the stars were very small and that they were revolving um above not around but above the earth now there's a modern geocentric view um you don't hear about it much but a significant number of the people that hold to this view are Christians. And the reason they hold to this view is because that's what the Bible teaches. Most Christians are never exposed to this at all, so they can't even make a choice. Um, but in the modern geocentric view, they, um, 
they believed that the uh, the solar system revolves around the Earth. Nobody believed that in the ancient world. That's that's the modern view. So it has some commonalities with um, the heliocentric view, and uh, that's the modern scientific view that um, everything is revolving around the sun. That's what they call heliocentrism. Okay. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. You can tell right away that that is false. Now stop and think about it. When you see a cloud behind the moon, that's telling you that the moon is, is very small and it's close to the earth because the clouds can't be very far away. Okay. So the moon is quite small and it's close to the earth. You've been lied to on a massive scale. What you're going to do is you're going to trust your eyes and rather than trusting science. Because science is propaganda. Um, you're in the process of learning now that, okay, they lied to me on a massive scale about that. What else did they lie to me about? Because that's, that's an awfully big lie. So basically, you don't want to believe a whole heck of anything that you they've told you. When, they, when you listen to Coast to Coast AM, and George Norrie will come on, and he always seems to have these little NASA stories. A giant planet is headed towards our solar system. They talked about uh, one night, well, the scientists have discovered a pink planet. You know, uh, There's a black hole within a black hole. These are all stories. They have no basis in reality whatsoever. Now, I, you know, I can't prove that right now. That's what I believe. But see, after you discover that you've been lied to at that level... Why should you believe any of these things? See, there actually is no basis for believing any of these stories. Okay? I'll give you an example. <clears throat> um, when they had the Gulf oil spill, they had this camera down at the, at the bottom of the uh, you know, Gulf of Mexico, and they were giving us all these updates about what's going on down there. Now, hold it here. Why should you believe those things? You see? Because you can't prove any of them. So it's the same thing when NASA goes up into space, supposedly. I'm not saying they don't, okay? Uh, but I do believe that some of it is completely fake. And um, But when they're up there in space and they're telling you what's going on, after you discover that you've been lied to about the moon and the sun, why should you believe anything they tell you that's up there because you can't prove any of it? You have to understand you can't prove anything that they're telling you, just like you can't prove anything about what they're telling you on the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico, because you're not there. You're not up in space. So it all comes down to one word, trust. Trust. Okay, now here's what happens. When you realize that the sun and moon are very small, um, guess what happens with the word trust? Okay? You don't trust. The problem is everybody has programming. It's actually, we call it embedded programming. It actually has to do with information that's embedded in you. We, you expose yourself to information. They actually have sub, subliminal embedded information everywhere. It's everywhere. In all forms of technology, and that's a fact. But, um, you know, that's going on behind the scenes. That's what these short little messages, you know, like, eat more food, have more sex. Sleep more and more. Trust the government. Remember to vote. And the CIA has actually been busted 
down in Australia, these short little pithy messages, you know. Um, you know, like, hate God, um, there is no God, those kind of things. So this is going on, but we're actually talking about just propaganda that's just in your face, you know. And uh, when they go to school, when you go to school, they tell you what is reality, and you just store the information. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. I said, uh, yeah, most preterists don't believe in a liberal devil or other entities beside us. So, well, let me ask you a question: Do you believe that um, the devil used to exist? Was he annihilated by God? There's the word heliocentric. Yeah, hel. Oops. I spelled it wrong. There's the word heliocentric. That's the modern uh, universe. Now, that universe just collapsed right before your eyes. Maybe you didn't realize that. You, you probably didn't. You have to understand one thing. Okay, so you believe that there most likely was, okay. And you believe that um, that there used to be demons, evil spirits? <laughs> you can answer that. You believe there used to be demons? Okay, so back to the uh, our little universe here. So once you realize that the sun and the moon are quite small, like everybody used to believe in the ancient world, okay, guess what? Um, heliocentrism is impossible because the sun is too small for the earth to be revolving around it because now the earth is big. You've been lied to. Now, can you see that, Linda? See, put a yes in there if you understand that the heliocentric universe is impossible if the sun and the moon are small, because the sun is the same size as the moon. Can you put a yes in there if you understand it? You're not sure? Okay. Okay, ask yourself a question. Okay. <laughs> that's That's... Let's get the, the size of the sun figured out here, okay? Um, in the ancient world, everybody believed the same thing. Here's what they believed. They believed that the sun and the moon were the same size, okay? Now, you, you know you've been lied to on a massive scale about the moon, okay? And uh, <clears throat> when you look up in the sky at the sun and the moon, guess what? they appear to be the same size in the sky. Now, there's there's a reason why that appears to be that way. That's because they are the same size. You see? Now, there's a way to prove that. Um, To prove that they're both small. Um, It's called, you know, you have to go out and sun gaze and look at, you look at what you do, you, you look for a really dark cloud Ideally, you don't have to have a dark cloud, but ideally, behind the sun. Because the same effect is true with the sun. In fact, when I first saw the sun in the sky, I saw it with the sun, 
because I was sun gazing, you see. And I was completely shocked, you know. So, I mean, you don't have to go out there and see that for yourself. You can just trust me. I mean, because I discovered this on my own, and I mean, it's not false. The same thing is true with the sun. Now, it's perfectly safe to, to gaze at the sun. I'll show you how to do it. What you want to do is you want to do it during the first or last hour of the day. Don't look at the sun any time. It's perfectly safe. Now, if you're doing it for the first time, um, you, you know, I mean, if you want to be ultra safe, you know, you can do it for like 30 seconds. Some people recommend that. Yeah, you've done sun gazing. Okay. Oh, no problem then. And so, um, I don't think you'd have a problem doing it for like five minutes. But people recommend that you increase it in like 30-second increments. I actually think that they're just doing that to play it safe so no one can come after them and say, hey, I looked at the sun and it damaged my eyes. You know what I mean? Because we live in a lawyer-driven culture where everybody's concerned about being sued, you know. But, um, but basically, what you can do, you can if you're concerned about something like that, you can kind of glance back and forth. And you can see this whole situation being set up. You can see that, you know, because there's movement out there and there's a cloud that's approaching the sun. You go, okay, here we go. You know, is that cloud going to be in front of the sun or is it going to be behind it? You know what I mean? And uh, so it goes behind the sun. You're looking for it. You know, this kind of stuff is happening all the time but people are not, they're not looking for it. And our minds are so programmed that even if you see it, it won't register on your brain. I know that for a fact because there's all kinds of sun gazers out there. They're not noticing it. And I sun gazed for years. I didn't notice it. And you have sun gazed. And you didn't notice it either, you see. Because uh, we've been propagandized. We don't know how to think. And our brain has been trained to think the wrong way. So you can't even uh, acknowledge reality. But it's sitting right in front of you. You know So the important thing to understand even though you have not seen it with your own eyes yet, is that the same effect is true with the sun. There's a cloud behind the sun. The reason is, is because the sun and the moon are approximately the same distance from the earth because there's a relatively small range there where you have the clouds, and they're right in the midst of the clouds. Sometimes the clouds are in front, sometimes they're behind, you know, just like the moon. They're the same. So, okay, now here we go. Uh, so the, the, the sun is also small and close to the earth because clouds are close to the earth. It's real simple, okay? And your eyes are telling you, according to what they see in the sky, that guess what? The sun and the moon are the same size, same approximate size. So the same thing is true with the sun as it is with the moon, okay? Now let's go back to um, heliocentrism. Okay, which teaches that the Earth revolves around the Sun. The Sun is very small. It's virtually impossible for the Earth to revolve around the Sun. It can't happen because it's it's just too small. You understand that? Before you said not sure. <clears throat> Sometimes you have to think about these things a little bit. Can you 
can you see that that's impossible, or are you still pondering that? What a yes if you think it's impossible. (laughs) Trying to. Okay. Now, here's the other thing, okay? In the ancient world, everybody believed the same thing. They all believed, believe it or not, okay? They all believed. It's, It's your programming, Linda. Your, pro- your programming has to break down. Everybody's like this, okay? In the ancient world, as far as we know, everybody believed the same thing. And what they believed is that there was a solid firmament over the earth, like a dome. Everybody believed this. And we actually lived in an enclosure. Okay? This is the biblical cosmology. Now, everyone believed, as far as we know, that the firmament was solid, the solid dome structure over the earth. And the earth is kind of like a, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Uh, it's not a solarium. It's uh, it's a little, you know, like these little things that you put dirt in and you grow uh, reservoirs or something like that. Anyway, what they believed in the ancient world is that stars were very small. Okay? Now, when you're a preterist or someone who believes in a heliocentric universe, when you go to Genesis 6 and it says, well, the stars fell to the earth, you're going to say, well, that's not to be taken literally because the stars are too large. Well, guess what happened? when you discovered that the sun and the moon are quite small. That means that the stars have to be small. You see that? Now, the stars are considerably smaller than the earth because you look up at the sky, and what does it look like to you? They're just little tiny things, you see. Now, in the ancient world, they believed that almost all the stars were actually stuck in the firmament. That's what they believe. And the it's kind of like jewels um, in an umbrella or something like that. And the umbrella is rotating. And it's like a big machine. And if the earth is tilted, it didn't used to be tilted, but um, it's tilted now, and that's why we have seasons. Because there wasn't seasons in Adam's day. And uh, there probably was not seasons that were very distinct before Noah's day. Because after Noah's day, they had winter. And uh, that's the reason why God gave permission to Noah to eat meat. It was for survival purposes. Ideally, you don't want to eat meat. If you don't need to eat meat, you shouldn't eat meat. Especially today because it's too toxic because it's the top of the food chain. That's why, because before that, there was most likely a subtropical environment, and you could just live off, um, well, the thing about Adam and Eve, they were actually fruit, they were fruitarians. Okay? Well, here's the thing, Linda. In the ancient world, people believe, we know this for a fact, people believe that the stars were small enough to fall to the earth. You can look at different cultures. They all believe that. They knew, see, here's the thing. You have what's called pristine knowledge. 
That means that there was a pure source. So if you believe the Bible, you have to understand one thing. You're going all the way back, and there was one opinion. One opinion. If you came along and you said something completely crazy, like, oh, didn't you know that the earth is a perfect sphere? Perfect sphere. Um, People would laugh at you. You know why? Because nobody believed that. You see? We had to be bamboozled at some point along the way where you have this institutionalized culture so they could hoodwink you into believing that. That's what Hollywood tells you. Every time that Hollywood shows the earth, it's always a perfect sphere. You see that? Now, you have to understand that the only way that you can truly tell what the shape of the earth is if you ignore scripture, is to actually get up in space and look down. It's the only way. You see, you're trusting somebody. So you're trusting science, and they're telling you, oh, it's a perfect spirit. But guess what? They're lying to you. Now, the reason we know that is because you can actually go to two different Wikipedia articles, and they will actually tell you that since the 17th century, all Western scientists do not believe that the Earth is a perfect sphere. They believe that it's an oblate spheroid. Oblate spheroid. I'll spell that in the room now. Oblate spheroid. Now, an oblate spheroid is like taking a basketball, letting the air out of it, and then pressing it down on it. So it has a wider girth in the middle. Now, it's funny because some people will actually acknowledge that the earth has a wider girth. But then in their mind, they still have this perfect sphere for some reason. No, it's either one or the other. In other words, if you understand that, then you would look at what Hollywood is showing you down to the decades, and they go, that's not true. That's not true. So why does Hollywood always represent the earth inaccurately? That's because there's a secret about the shape of the earth. They're covering something up. And the earth is an oblate spheroid that the scientists believe. And the reason that it doesn't trickle down to the, uh, the common man is because if you look in our institutional society, when you talk about the academic community, there's always a chasm between what they believe and what the common man believes. There always is. And most people don't know this. For instance, in Christianity, there's an amazing amount of Christians who, who do not believe that theologians know significant truths that they don't know. They don't believe that. They don't think that, uh, that theologians have significant truths that they don't know. That's why they poke fun at uh, theologians. You see? But this is always true, and it's true in Christianity, too. There's all kinds of things, there's all kinds of discussions that are going on that never get heard um, in the non-academic community. And this has to do with a institutionalized stru- uh, culture that's deliberately designed to compartmentalize information. Compartmentalize information. 
It's designed by the Illuminati. This is how they use it to keep secrets. Uh, secrets are walled off. And so there's, you know, I could go into detail about why scientists do not, are not motivated to communicate to the average person that the Earth is an oblate spheroid. But basically there's no financial reward. It's a system of perks and punishments. All our institutions are structured this way. If you speak the truth, you'll be punished. Now, I'm talking about speaking the truth. I'm talking about telling something that they don't want you to tell. And when you do that, you have to step out from the pack, and you will not be rewarded. You'll be rewarded for keeping your mouth shut. And when you're in the system, you start to see how it works. If you're a doctor and you try to heal somebody, you'll lose your medical license. It's illegal to heal anybody um, in America unless you're a naturopath. That's true. Um, the system is so controlled, last I heard, that you could not even um, photocopy some information about um, how vitamin E, I'm talking about synthetic vitamin E, can be beneficial and hand it to a patient. If you do that, you can lose your medical license. That's why doctors don't have anything to offer people. Now, all of our institutions are the same way. We were talking um, that one night, you were in the chat room, I think, when I was talking to Zach. Not sure if you were there or not, but we were talking about archaeology. Everything is under control. That's the situation we're in right now. Now, I have to tell you, Linda, that we don't talk about much about preterism. Okay? But the Illuminati control everything. And we basically are in captivity. This is very important to understand. We are in a cultic system. I call it the cult of society. And uh, now, the sign in the sky actually proves this. It actually proves this, that we actually live in a cultic structure where people have been stupefied. They don't even know basic, um, essential truths that at one time everybody knew. That would have to do with the nature of the sun and the moon and the stars. They don't know these things. And these are obvious truths and yet people are far removed from them. And uh, if you're in a state like that, you're in a cultic structure. You see that? Okay. So we are in captivity. Now, the Bible talks about, in my opinion, um, God's people being in captivity. And I believe that these are prophecies beyond the first century. Okay? But setting that aside... And that's an interesting little Bible study because there's quite a few of these passages. You don't need scripture. Okay? Um, we are getting hit with frequency weapons every day. We're being bombarded uh, with toxic air and chemtrails. There's no such thing as organic food. Not unless you grow it uh, indoors, hydroponically. No such thing as organic food. Organic food, quote-unquote, is just better than other food. Okay? Everything is poison. Repeat that. Everything is poison. Now, I'm telling you this for a reason, okay? They have poisoned our water. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> they are hitting us with chemtrails. The entire medical system 
is a complete farce. It's a system of death. Name one thing that doctors have to heal you. Nothing. They don't have anything. Now, that's by design. Because that's not true in, in Eastern science or uh, medicine. Why is that true in Western medicine? Because somebody designed it that way. Western medicine, quote-unquote, all has to do with what we call slow kill, slow death. It's slow enough to fool the fool who doesn't understand how the system works. But it's fast enough to, um, to please, please the hidden sorcerers because they're always impatient. Okay, so... This entire system, whether you believe these scriptures are beyond the first century or not, we are in a wretched state right now. You see? See, these are all, none of these things are theories. Now, some people, to some people they are. They call them conspiracy theory. I already know you believe in these things. These things, which are absolute truths and can be proven, are absolutely devastating to preterism. Absolutely devastating to preterism. Now, why is that true? Here's why. Because we are in a significant state of imprisonment. Our minds are imprisoned. People can't even look up in the sky and, and identify a chemtrail. They can't even look up in the sky and acknowledge that the sun and the moon are the same size because they've been lied to. And they're at a cultic system. Okay? What this means is that we have to be delivered from this system. Whether you believe that these prophecies about captivity are beyond the first century or not, it doesn't matter. You don't even need scripture. It's self-evident okay, all around us that we are in a state of captivity. Now here's my point. Okay? Um, we cannot be in this state forever. That, that's completely absurd. Now, see, most people don't know these things. Now, most preterists are not conspiratorial. Jerry Bowers is one of the few exceptions, and Jerry Bowers is not thinking straight because this reality is not compatible with preterism, okay? This reality is telling you that preterism cannot possibly be true, okay? <clears throat> now, here's the reason why. Because we have to be delivered. And that's a fact. We're in this state, fact number one. Fact number two, we have to be delivered. Now, who's going to deliver us? God. Okay. So fact number three, when God delivers us, it's going to be significant. Now, here's the reason why it's going to be significant. Because we're in a significant negative state. So when we get delivered, it will be significant. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. How could you have something that significant but not be in the Bible anywhere? Stop and think about that. Because we are in the greatest captivity in the history of the world. People's minds are captive. Stop and think about this. See, what we're talking about is a quiet war, a quiet war that has never existed in the history of the world. And the focus in the quiet war is on the enemy. Now, there's always an enemy. Who's the enemy? You know who the enemy is? Christians. 
Now let's look at that again. Let's back up. And what are we talking about here? This is the greatest captivity and negative state that God's people have ever experienced in the history of the world. Now why is that true? Because they didn't have chemicals. They didn't have to worry about uh, aluminum and heavy metal toxins falling from the sky. That's, that's true. God's people did not have to worry about these things. That's absolutely essential because that's telling you that we right now are in a worse state than believers in any period of history. And the reason that's so important is to, to emphasize that when we are delivered from this state, and we will be, we're in a state of probation, that deliverance is going to be more significant than any deliverance in the history of the world, including when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt. Now ask yourself that question. How could that possibly not be in Scripture somewhere? Well, it has to be. Now, here's the problem. Preterism is like a, a giant edifice that's supported by, um, you know, different structures, okay? Uh, different beams or something like that. And just for the point of illustration, preterism has to hold up at every point along the line, okay? Now, in this edifice here, if we take out just one of these pillars, just one, the entire edifice will collapse. Now, let me illustrate that, okay? Preterism cannot have one single prophecy that's unfulfilled beyond the first century. And the reason for that, because then it's not preterism anymore. That's why they have the term full preterism. Uh, full preterism teaches that all Bible prophecies fulfilled in a distant past, typically before, you know, by 70 AD. Now, here's the thing, Linda. How many times have you heard people talking about 70 AD? Do you know how many people can prove that anything happened in 70 AD? Anything. Anything. Name one thing that anybody can prove happened in 70 AD. Do you know how many people can prove that? Nobody. Not unless you're Illuminati and you know it's true history of the world. Here's the reason why. We can't trust any information before the 14th century. Nothing. I'll put a qualifier on that, outside the Bible. Okay? In other words, we're talking about secular history. Here's the reason why. Very simple. What we know about history is actually filtered through the Roman Catholic Church. You see, they controlled everything. And it was a religious state that blended the uh, the state and the religion, okay? Well, they controlled everything. I ask yourself the question, do you trust the Roman Catholic Church? I, I hope not. Do you trust the medieval Roman Catholic Church? You see, see when NASA goes off the planet, supposedly, assuming that they didn't actually fake that. And they're telling us, well, here's what's out here. You're trusting them. Uh, same thing with the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. But see, it's the same thing about history. 
So you've got to ask yourself, who am I trusting to tell me about history? Because, see, you're always trusting someone. Now, you've got all these preterists out there who will quote all of these historical dates. You know how many of those horses' historical dates are provable? Now, when I say provable, I'm talking about one thing, absolute proof. You either prove it absolutely or you don't. I'm not talking about a good theory. Absolute proof. Is there anyone that can prove any of these historical dates? No. No. You'd have to have a time machine. You see, we don't know. Because, actually, the medieval Roman Catholic Church is an unknown factor. We don't actually know what was going on back then. We can't absolutely prove it. So we can't prove how evil they were. We can't prove who was actually infiltrating, controlling. We don't know. We don't have enough information. It's not trustworthy. So let's go back to that now. Where are we getting our information about the ancient world? Through the medieval Roman Catholic Church. Okay? So can we be certain about anything that happened in 70 AD? Now, I'm only saying this for one reason. How many times have you heard preterists say 70 AD? Over and over and over. Do they ever talk about, well, I think it happened in 69 AD, or I think it happened in 72. No, it's the same thing, over. Now, the reason I point this out is to illustrate these people don't know what they're talking about, Linda. They don't know what they're talking about. You see that? None of them. I'm talking about one specific thing. The 70 AD date, which you're hearing over, for instance, is there anyone that can prove that the parousia did not happen in 82 AD? How are you going to prove that it did not happen in 82 AD? See, I'm trying to get you to understand. You don't have enough information. See, people are basically just sleepwalking. And, and, and they're also lazy. And they want, in order for propaganda to be effective, it has to be simple. So, you know, we don't want to get, make things complicated. We don't actually want to have these discussions because it makes us nervous. Because if you start to think about it, there is no way to prove that the Perusia did not happen in 82 AD. Don't have a time machine. You see? Here's the other thing. Most of the information that we're getting outside the scripture is from one source, the works of Josephus. You know what I think about Josephus? Well, first of all, I tell you, no one can prove that Josephus was even a historical figure. No one can prove he even existed. How are you going to do that? See, we're starting to think now, and you go, you know something, Dave, you've got a point there. How do we prove these things? How do you prove that this is going on in, in, in the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico? How do you, if they land on the moon, they tell you to land on the moon, how do you know what's going on there? It always goes back to one word, trust. So who are you trusting to tell you what happened in 70 AD? You see, someone is telling us. Let's take an example. If you get any, you go to a Bible store or a Christian bookstore, and you start looking at these Bibles. You go to the back of the Bible, and they show you the, <clears throat> the state of Israel. And they'll show you maybe in the ancient world, or they'll show you, you know, the way it is um, back a certain amount of time. And you notice it always looks the same? Always looks the same. And why is that? Because someone's telling us that. See, there's not a debate. 
it's the same thing over and over again. What I'm trying to say is that someone determined all that. We got PSYOP, the psychological operation. It's called a hoodwink. You see, in the medieval era, if you were a white Caucasian in Europe, guess what? You were a slave. They had a nice word for that. It's called a serf. There was no middle class. And you didn't have the right to travel. So you actually did not even know what was going on in the town, uh, the, the next town, unless someone traveled from that town to that town and then actually told you because they had permission to travel. And you go, oh, that's what's going on. One of the reason I'm telling you this is because <clears throat> after the destruction of the temple, the Illuminati took over everything, archaeological digs. Now, you, you know, you don't have to believe that. What I'm trying to say is that <clears throat> the medieval lords controlled everything. So the serfs didn't have a clue what was going on in the Holy Land. They could actually just move the Holy Land north or south, wherever they please, and just make it all up and tell you, here's what happened. And you would have no way of knowing. See, that's the problem. Our information from the past is filtered through this time period where you had all these ignorant serfs. They call it the Dark Ages, you know. We don't know. Preterists are making massive assumptions across the line. These people cannot be trusted. I can point out that this, what they're saying is totally illogical. And the discussion that I'm having with you right now does not happen in preterism. There are no preterists that have even realized that you can't trust history. There's nobody out there. You know why? Because they're not very sophisticated, that's why. They haven't even got there yet. Okay? So anyway, I can say a lot about that. Another thing, too, is the whole relic industry. Now, see, this is something we all agree on, you know, because we make fun of the Roman Catholics and go, oh, they were so stupid, they believed all these holy relics, because, you see, it's a scam. They're running scams all through history. And what I'm saying is that you have what's called the cartography conspiracy. I actually got that in the title of a podcast. A podcast will go up for And Connie and I talked about the conspiracy that has to do with maps and map making. Let's take an example, okay? How many times have you heard about the 33rd degree parallel? You got it, okay? You just said there's no proof that Jesus is real either. Let me take that to, um, I'm going to put a word in there. Just like, um, don't forget. Did I already forget what I'm talking about? I think I did. Let, let me show you uh, the problem that we have, Linda. Okay? There's a sense when you can't prove anything. Now, let me explain why. Okay? Um, when I say proof, without qualifying the term, we're talking about absolute proof. Absolutely able to prove it. Okay. Now here's the problem. In order to prove anything absolutely, you first have to be able to prove one thing. And this is not this is something that needs to be taken seriously because Christians do not take what I'm going to say seriously. 
okay? You first have to be able to absolutely prove that we are not living in a holographic reality. Let's be able to absolutely prove that. Now, here's the thing. No one can prove that. The reason is we don't have enough information. And what would you be your methodology to actually prove that to someone or to prove it to yourself? And the reason I say that is because it illustrates how little we absolutely know. You see that? So how do we know anything? You see? Now, this illustrates that the reason that we believe Scripture is not based on um, anything uh, objective evidence because we can't trust that either because we can't absolutely prove that we're not living in a holographic reality. Okay? So you have to actually sidestep all that. And guess what it comes back to? The same thing. Trust. Trust. And trust has to do with the relationship, and the relationship is with God. The true reason why I believe the Bible is true is because I have a relationship with God, and I believe I can't prove it to anybody. That's not the point. You don't have to prove it to anybody. I believe that God has given me sufficient evidence that it's true. Now, some will say, well, that's, that's your reality. You know, Dave, that's, that's your truth. That's fine. You know, that's what you want to believe. There's only one truth. People believe this is my truth, this is your truth. No. No. That's not true for science. Why is it true for religion? You see, that's where people are confused. Because most propaganda is directed at religion and the religious mind. And that's why religious people, whether they're Christian or otherwise, are so confused. Because it has to do with the emotional mind. I don't want to go into that right now. I'll be off on a tangent. So it's true. You can't actually prove that Jesus existed. How are you going to do that? You see that? Yeah, Michael Loomis is an agent, and Dale, um, we actually tried to get revelation on him. Dale. Dale was not an agent, but Dale was very confused. But Dale has been, <laughs> Dale is on a journey. Now, I've been following his little journey. I never, well, I did interact with him in Connie's uh, group there, okay? He was just challenging me, and then he backed off because um, what happens is that when people challenge me, they get confronted with a wall of information and ideas and concepts that they've never heard before. Ideas and concepts they've never heard before. And I have internalized enough information that I can uh, readily assume that a person doesn't know this or that. So I can ask them a question already knowing they don't have the answer. And the reason I do that is so I don't have to argue with the person because um, when you ask a person a question that he doesn't know, guess what? They actually realize they don't know that unless they're delusional. This is the method that Jesus used to use. He asked the Pharisees a question 
And he already knew that they didn't know what the answer was. That, that's why he asked the question. So if you've internalized a lot of knowledge, you can do that. And the more knowledge you internalize, and we're, we're assuming that this is truth you know, within a Christian context, then you can do that too. The more knowledge you have, the more effective you can be. So when someone wants to argue with me, I gently tap them on the shoulder and illustrate to them how ignorant they are by asking them a question that I already know they don't have the answer to. Because you know why? Now they're on unfamiliar ground. And they actually realize they're on unfamiliar ground. And so what they do is they stop arguing and they listen because they know that they don't know. Now sometimes they, they won't let you know that. It doesn't really matter. I know that internally they've realized, you know something? I don't know what I'm talking about on this subject. So what's the point of me making a fool out of myself and trying to pretend like I do? So that's what you do. So, Linda, I'm looking at the chat. And are, let, me, let me ask you a question. Okay? Uh, now, I'm not talking about a literal prison. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that we have been imprisoned? Do you believe that we've been imprisoned? Yes or no? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm trying to get you to think here. Do you believe we've been imprisoned? Okay. I see what I'm saying? Now, it really comes down to one thing. How significant is this imprisonment? And I made the case earlier. I could wax eloquent for hours developing that further. And I don't have to use scripture. That's what's important. So this is something that's provable and it's actually something that's self-evident if you have knowledge. Because you know, most, most people don't know this because they're ignorant. But the more things... See, here's the thing. Here's what it comes down to. One sentence. Our entire environment has been weaponized. Our entire environment has weaponized. Now, that might sound like a conspiracy theory, okay? Now, guess what? The bed springs in your mattress are a weapon, and that's a fact, and you can prove it. It's an electromagnetic antenna that will actually light up with a little device that can detect it, any, any kind of um, EMF signal in your home, like a microwave or anything else. I, I've actually done it, okay? If you're... Magnetic, if your mattress is actually a weapon, now what is that telling you is probably true for the rest of your reality. Our food has been weaponized. Our water has been weaponized. Our air has been weaponized. The energy around us is weaponized. We actually live in an electromagnetic prison. We call it electricity. You can prove that because you can go out and you can spend about $150 on a device that plugs into an outlet and you can reverse the polarity in your entire home and turn that energy into beneficial energy. Do you think the government doesn't know how to do that? You better believe they do. Why aren't they doing it? Because it's all by design. That is an electromagnetic prison. And it's 
quiet war. You're not supposed to know. Okay. Now, this is the greatest holistic. The word holistic is very important. The greatest holistic imprisonment or captivity, whatever you want to call it, in the history of the world. See that? Now, a lot of it is invisible. That's how they get away with it. That's why I call it a quiet war. Okay? But when God's people are delivered from this, now let's stop and think about it. That's what the, the preterist view, okay? The preterist view is that I don't want to say everybody believes this, okay? But the preterist view is this present reality is what you're going to get through all eternity. Okay? Now, this imprisonment that we're in is either, is either one of two things. Either we're going to stay this way through all eternity or not. Okay? Now, let's go with the view that we're not going, not going to be in this state. Okay? So that means that we'll be delivered at some point. Well, what I'm saying is the same thing. When we are delivered, that will be the most significant deliverance in the history of the world. Now, we're talking about a word called redemption. Most people, when they think redemption, they're thinking of spiritual redemption, you know, salvation. The Bible also teaches physical redemption. The reason we know that is because the word redemption is used in reference to the Israelites being delivered from Egypt in the Exodus. So the Bible also talks about the physical redemption, okay? Now stop to think about this. You know and I know that the Egyptians were more advanced than what they tell us, okay? But we also know they did not have all this sophisticated technology that we do. Okay? <laughs> and so, it's impossible at that time for them to be in the kind of bondage. See, that's what we're in. Bondage. That we are in right now. Because this bondage is holistic. It covers all the bases. Our minds are entrapped. Our minds are enslaved. People are swimming in a sea of propaganda, a sea of information. The great bulk of this information is absolutely false. The average person believes, oh, look at how much information we're being exposed to. We're so smart and so advanced. They never stop to think about the possibility that the great bulk of that information is completely and utterly worthless. And the reason it's completely and utterly worthless is because it was all designed that way. You see that? Okay, so you go back to the same thing over and over again. Eventually there will be historical event when we are delivered from this kind of bondage, which is holistic. It covers all the bases. This is the most significant bondage in the history of the world, which means, okay, now we're talking about physical deliverance. It does relate to spiritual deliverance too, but primarily physical, okay? Because this is the most significant bondage in the history of the world, and we're focusing on God's people, when have God's people ever been under something like this before? Never, okay? So it's the most significant bondage that God's people have been under in the history of the world, and that's very important because that tells us that when we are delivered, it will be the most significant deliverance 
on a physical level in the history of the world. You see, the deliverance relates to the degree of bondage. This is all very simple. Okay? So the greatest deliverance on a physical level in the history of the world is not in the Bible anywhere. Does that make any sense? Now remember, preterists, I'm not talking about these little these minor players on Facebook. I know the big names in preterism, and they're not conspiratorial. So they actually don't know this. You see that? They don't know this. They don't even know the stuff that's going on. They can't think really. They don't know we're in spirit of uh, physical bondage. Don't even know. These are people that are going out and voting to change, you know, try to change America still. They don't have a clue. These are the leaders of preterism. That's true. They're not conspiratorial. I know their names. I know all of them. I've got folders on them. That's what I do. I do research. <laughs> so they're not in, actually in a position to be making judgments about these things because they don't have enough knowledge to even bring to the table. Okay? <clears throat> they don't actually know that we're in physical bondage. That's my point. And we're not supposed to know because it's a quiet war. See? It's designed to deceive you. And you're a slave. That's another thing. The Bible also teaches this as well. Well, obviously, if that degree of bondage is true, then you're a slave. I'm a slave, you're a slave, we're all slaves. And what they will tell you over and over, oh, you're free. You're free. America, the home of the brave and the free. You see that? First of all, you have to prove that we won the Revolutionary War. We didn't win the Revolutionary War. We're being ruled by Britain. Secretly, behind the scenes, nothing has changed. Now, the reason all this goes on is for one reason. To convince the simple mind that it's free so it never has the desire to truly become free and revolt. This is how they manage people. Because you see, the Illuminati, they have a job to do. And their job is to manage the common man. It takes work. So what they're going to do is try to simplify their job and make it as easy as possible. So what you want to do, you want to trick people and hoodwink them into believing, oh, you're free. Now, if you look around at all this crazy stuff that's going on, you know we're not free. There's no way. I'm not talking talking about the Bible, Jimmy. Now, I believe that the Bible teaches that we're slaves right now, historically. And so, once again, you see, we have to be delivered so we can be free. I'm not talking about, you know, heaven or anything like that. I'm about here on earth. And when that happens, that will be a more significant event than when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt. Again, how can that not be in the Bible? Now, here's the thing. Huge question. Now, listen to this, Lindsay. 
I'm going to make a statement that there is no authority, absolute authority, beyond the first century. No authoritative person. I'm talking about like an apostle. You see? Where is this person? Martin Luther? No. There is no person. Okay? So where is the prophet that can guide us infallibly to interpret Scripture? We don't have one. Now, I'm going to tell you something you haven't heard before because I'm going to prove that preterists cannot think. I'm going to prove it. They cannot think. And neither can anybody else because we're all in a cultic system. That's what we talked about before you got on here. I'm going to talk about something that no, the preterists don't talk about. And it has to do with logic and clear thinking. Okay? Now, preterists make the claim that all Bible prophecy is fulfilled in the first century. Okay? Let's stop and think about something. When you... Well, that's a theory. Number one. Secondly, no one can prove that. No one can prove that. Preterists assume that they can. I'll explain why no one can prove it. First of all, if you're going to prove that, you're going to have to have absolute knowledge of how Scripture should be interpreted. You have to be 100% certain, and you have to be correct. Again, ask the question. Is there an authority beyond the first century? Like on an apostolic level? No, we all know that. Because there is nobody. Now, even Paul said himself that he sees through a glass darkly. Do you think that Paul had absolute knowledge of how every scripture should be properly interpreted? I believe he would say no. And I believe that that's true for all men. We never understand everything absolutely that has to do with biblical truth. But now hold it here now. Preterists are making a claim, whether they realize this or not, because they're not thinking straight, that they can do this when it comes to Bible prophecy. Because they are stating an absolute position that all Bible prophecy is fulfilled in the first century. No one can prove that. It is an unprovable theory which um, re, uh, relies upon the absurd notion that somebody has absolute knowledge of Scripture. Ask yourself the question, are there any men that have absolute knowledge of Scripture? Well, we have a term for that. It's called infallibility. You know, the Pope, when he speaks, when he sits on the uh, <clears throat> throne of St. Peter and speaks in what's called ex cathedra, he claims to be infallible. Uh, we don't believe that. You don't believe that. I don't believe that. Preterists don't believe that. Okay? So why do we allow preterists to run around and make infallible claims about Bible prophecy? And notice that they do not present full preterism as a theory. They always, it's always presented as a stated fact. Now, what I'm trying to show you, Linda... Uh, anybody that's listening to this kind of thing and not thinking clearly they've been bamboozled. 
completely illogical. It's a house of cards. Okay? And again, if there's just one single scripture beyond the first century, we don't have full preterism anymore. We have what's called partial preterism. The question is, is there anyone that could absolutely prove that all Bible prophecy was fulfilled in the first century? No, there's not. Okay, so uh, most preterists historically have been what's called cessationists. Now it's changing. A cessation has to do with the, you know, the so-called gifts ended in the first century. It's changing now. I'm aware of that, okay? But here's the thing. If you're speaking with that kind of authority, you're claiming the level of authoritative prophet. Now, they don't come out and call themselves authoritative prophets. Of course not. But it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm calling it out for what it really is. You're claiming to be a prophetic, authoritative uh, voice. You see that? You're also claiming to do something that um, no one else claimed all down the centuries. Did anyone else make these claims in, you know, 2nd century, 6th century, 15th century? No. Preterism began in the Church of Christ in the mid-1970s. That's a fact. That was the first time that people began to make these extraordinary claims, which are unprovable. So again, full preterism is an unprovable theory. Now here's my point in saying all that. Here's the point that I'm actually getting at. This is something that's self-evident. So now I'm going to ask the big question. Why isn't this discussed in the full preterist community? Because I've never heard it discussed. It's not being discussed. I can tell you why. Because full preterists have not learned how to properly think yet. That's the problem that we all have in our culture. Culture is we don't know how to think. Now here's the reason. We are actually born into a cult. You haven't heard this before. That's okay. I'm not supposed to know this. When you were born, you were born into a cult. And the name of that cult, this is what I call it, the cult of society. And they talk about culture. When they created that word, and the English language was created by <clears throat> 16th century occultists like John Dee and uh, Francis Bacon. It's a psyop, a psychological operation. It's a magical language. But when they created that language and it had the word culture, they were telling you something. Culture. They're telling you that your culture is a cult. Now, I can prove that it's a cult. How can I do that? Well, I can prove it in such a way that no one can refute it. They can't prove it wrong. How do you do that? Well, you look at our educational system. Okay? Which is nothing but propaganda. When you went to school, it didn't matter if it was middle school or the finest seminary in the land or Stanford or an Ivy League school. It's all the same. There's no significant difference between these um, <clears throat> vehicles of propaganda and the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society otherwise known as Jehovah's Witnesses. There's no significant difference. That's why we're in the cult of society. Now, the reason that's true 
is because when you were quote-unquote educated, uh, the preterists before the 70s were um, not full preterists. You'd have to name one person before the 70s. We're talking about Max King. You might be talking about uh, the book The Perusia, that was, which I have, that was in the later 19th century. He wasn't a full preterist. He actually, there's actually a term for what he believed. It's called premillennial preterism. I never heard that before. I asked Sherry, I said, have you ever heard of premillennial preterism? He said no. So I had to explain it to him. These guys are not that smart. Another time I asked him, do you know what literal preterism is? Literal preterism. He said he never heard of it. Um, A literal preterist is somebody who takes the big three events, which would be the parousia, the resurrection, and the judgment. He takes them literally. They're literal events. A preterist will admit that they spiritualize those. Okay? So that's now there's very few literal preterists around. Now the author of the book that wrote the Perusia, he was a literal preterist. And he placed the millennium beyond the first century. You see that? That's why he's not a full preterist. I do the same thing. I actually believe in a first century preterist, uh, uh, Perusia, and uh, I agree with the literal preterists that those three events are literal events. And see, I actually believe that Jesus came literally in the, in, in the clouds, and it, it's like the Bible says, every eye saw him, <clears throat> And uh, if you believe what Scripture says, it's a lot easier to believe that these things happened because there was a massive worldwide cataclysm at that time. And I agree with Preterists that that age came to an end. We agree on that. That's something that futurists are confused about. So we're in a new age now. The thing that Preterists are wrong about is they're always telling you, oh, we're living in an eternal age. That's something that the futurists and the preterists both agree on. They're absolutely dead wrong. Now, how do we know they're dead wrong? Because when you go to the book of Ephesians, it talks about a plurality of ages beyond the first century. Now, guess what just happened with With one single verse, preterism just collapsed. Again, what is it talking about? A plurality, that means more than one, of ages beyond the first century. Do preterists believe that? No. They believe in one eternal age beyond the first century. Now, why is this important? This is easier for you 
because I know that you have somewhat of an ancient mindset when it comes to cyclical history. And so you're more open to, open to understanding the significance of what we would call a world age. Now, this is what people used to believe in the ancient world, including the Hebrews. It's lost information. Now, the best way to illustrate that is to go to 2 Peter 3, and Peter talks about the world of that time. Okay? The aeon. It was destroyed. It can be translated as world or age, or actually world age. So the Bible is actually telling you that there was an age that came to an end. Now, most Christians are so simple-minded that they will admit that, and then they'll say that, okay, there was an age that began after the flood, and we're still living in that age. But they're wrong. You know they're wrong. I know they're wrong because we know that there was an age that came to an end in the first century. You can see that clearly in Matthew 24. Yeah, I really like that website, Preterist Archive, and that guy has changed his views over the over the years. Now he says nasty things about Preterists. <laughs> uh, he holds to the view that's called idealist Preterism. I, I absolutely do not recommend that. That view tells you that the book of Revelation doesn't have anything to do with history whatsoever. That's complete nonsense. There's no history in the book of Revelation. That's the idealistic view, and there's different shades of that view. So I'm familiar with that. I'm just speaking simplistically. Okay. And I wasn't trying to prove preterism wrong. I just happened to be mentioning along the way. Look at now. Here's here's why preterism collapses. If there's more than one age beyond the first century, if there's more than one age beyond the first century, you have to understand something here. Why is there more than one age? Okay, the reason there's more than one age is because something significant has happened that brings an age, particular age, to an end. And then something significant happens in order to have a new age that is formed after that old age comes to a conclusion. It has to be significant. Now, the word significant is important because this is devastating to preterism. Absolutely devastating. Because if something that significant happens beyond the first century, guess what? How can that not be have anything to do with Bible prophecy. You see that? See, that's unnatural, to say the least, to assume that. Now, there's no way you can prove it. You can't prove that. Because you can't measure the significance. You can theorize, oh, well, it's not significant enough to be in Bible prophecy. Well, let's remember now, these preterists are wrong. Okay? They believe that there's one single age beyond the first century. Flat dead wrong. The Bible teaches there's a plurality of ages. Now, it does this in more than one place, by the way. Remember what I said about preterism? It's like this giant edifice that's held up by these pillars, and all you have to do is, if one pillar comes out, 
the entire edifice collapses. Now, the reason is, is because in the mind of the preterists, all Bible prophecy is fulfilled, you know, in the first century. So if there's just one scripture where that is not true, the entire edifice of full preterism immediately collapses. And that edifice is all based on the unprovable theory. No one can prove this because it relies on absolute knowledge of Scripture. Men do not have that. So the next time you hear a preterist pontificating and pounding the table like they do, all Bible prophecies fulfilled in, in the first century, you should know that he is thinking illogically to say the very least. He's confused. And yet these people set them up as authorities. Uh, many of them will deny that there's prophets today, but they're actually speaking uh, authoritatively as an inspired prophet. Because if you're claiming to have absolute knowledge of Bible prophecy, there cannot, cannot be, we absolutely know, there cannot be a single verse prophecy that's unfulfilled. There cannot be, because I have absolute knowledge of Scripture. Okay? Then we don't have to listen to that person because we know he's in error. Now, it's kind of the same thing when you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, and people assume the doctor's going to heal you. Isn't that what people believe? Doctors don't claim to heal anybody. They know. They know better. This is a, a common belief, you see. And these common beliefs circulate in Christianity. And all you have to do is simply point here or there. And if someone points and illustrates what's going on, then we have what's called a self-evident fact. All it needed to be was just somebody pointing at it. Nobody's pointing, you see. There's no one in preterism that is talking about these issues. When God puts me out in a more public format, they're going to have to deal with these things for the first time. Now, there's no actual way to, 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 to disprove it. You know, I mean, the Bible talks about more than one age beyond the first century. Okay? Um, you can't come along and go, well, it's not really true. There's actually one age. Like they're doing right now. No. Okay? But, you know, you got the number one, you got more than one. And the Bible, it's not saying there's like two ages. We, we don't know. We don't know how many ages, okay? It could be more than two. <clears throat> you know, I used to believe all kinds of things, Lisa, and uh, what it's based upon is the concept of the great cosmological year. Now, in the ancient world, one thing we know is this was a universal belief, concept of a great year. That means that um, over a span of time, the uh, what we call the solar system, it makes one grand revolution. And what you've heard before from like New Agey type sources, just like I have, is that's approximately 25, 26,000 years. Okay, 
Now, you got to understand, here's the basic principle. Number one, the Illuminati exists. Okay? Now, you don't have a problem with that. Okay? Number, step number two, anything that is significant or important to them, or if they think it's significant or important to us, guess what they're going to do? They're going to lie. Now, there's no exceptions for that. And if there, I'm talking about from their viewpoint. If there ever is an exception, it's only because God forbids them to do it. Because God is still in control. So you have to understand it. All of this crazy stuff that's going on is the will of God. Now, people say, oh, it's not the will of God. God would never will these things. That is a person that can't think clearly. You're talking about over 99% of Christians. Oh, God doesn't will evil. Stop and think clearly. Here we go, okay? They don't do philosophy in local church. There's more sophisticated thinking that never penetrates the thick skulls of the average Christian. Let's see if this is true. Okay? If you have evil that exists, and you have an omnipotent God that can prevent it, that's the scenario we have today. That if God chooses to do nothing, absolutely nothing, guess what? That required a movement of his will. You see that? In other words, he chose to do nothing. If he chose to do nothing, then he willed something. If he willed something, then there was a movement of his will. If there was a movement of his will, then that means he willed something. And what did he will to do? To do nothing. And how does that affect the creation? It has to do with allowing evil. And we say, well, God allowed it, but he didn't will it. You see, they're not thinking straight. But they don't understand basic philosophic concepts. They don't do that in church. That's for the academic community. I mean, in dumb church, they don't even talk about first and secondary causes. Now, you know that. These are simple, basic things. So they're not even dealing with the basics. It's amazing how people are puffed up with knowledge. You know how you puff yourself up with knowledge? By constantly being a preterist and constantly focusing on futurism and the errors of dispensationalism. Yeah, there's all kinds of errors in futurism and dispensationalism, okay? It's kind of like a Jehovah's Witness that is always attacking the Roman Catholic Church. You know what that's called? A straw man argument. I mean, how hard is it to prove that the Roman Catholic Church is corrupt, corrupt institutions? That's child's play. Okay? How hard is it to, to prove that dispensationalism is a system of error? And so is futurism. Well, that's child's play, too. But what the Jehovah's Witness does, okay, he stands back and says, well, the Watchtower is God's visible organization on earth. All there. Just because the Roman Catholic Church is a corrupt, Antichrist institution, that doesn't mean 
that the watchtower is God's physical organization on earth. That's what's called a logical fallacy. And it's based on a simplistic straw man argument. Now, anybody can see that, except for a Jehovah's Witness. The reason a Jehovah's Witness can't see it is because they have a strong emotional attachment to the Watchtower organization. Now, preterists have a strong emotional attachment to a belief system, a theological belief system. And here's a fact, okay? All theological belief systems have significant error in them. All denominations have significant error. So when we see people choosing a denomination or choosing a theological system and pounding the table and attacking everybody else and using the same methodology as Jehovah's Witness, which preterists do, constantly focusing on, you know, it, it gets tiresome. We have to hear all the jokes and lambasting about the errors of futurism. You can do that till you're blue in the face, and that's not going to prove preterism at all. You see that? Now, in a cultic system with people who have a cultic mindset, there are certain things that are never discussed because they have a cultic mindset. And when you have an artificially created system, that's what we have here, of information, you will always see one thing over and over again. It's called the polarization of truth. The polarization of truth. And what this basically has to do with is if you have a messianic figure like Jesus, Moses, or a significant prophet, you're going to have a new influx of truth. And then as time goes on, what's going to happen? You're going to have deterioration, corruption. You're going to have a multiplicity of opinion. You see, at one time, there was only one opinion. That was in Adam's day. And as time went on, there began to have a multiplicity of opinion. That's what we have today. You know, the word Babylon means confusion. Okay? And so, <clears throat> we have a sip of my uh, As time goes on, you have a multiplicity of opinion, and because you have social engineering, there is a deliberate attempt to create polarizing errors. Okay? Now, here it is in a nutshell. The reason this is so important is because you can look for this, and you will see this principle over and over and over again. The reason people can't see it is because they have a cultic mindset. Now, what I'm talking about is something that is glaringly obvious. The truth is neither in the extreme left or the extreme right. Where is the truth? It's in the middle. The truth is in the middle. There's a reason why I'm talking about this. Do you ever hear preterists talk about a middle position 
between futurism and preterism. You know how many times I've heard that? Now, I'm a full-time researcher. You know how many times I've heard that? A big fat zero. A big fat zero. Now, that means that these people have never even learned the basic, simple elements of how to think. Of how to think. Because that's what this is. The most important thing for you to learn your whole life, apart from spiritual things, is actually learning how to think. Most people never learn how to think their whole life because they're born into a cultic system. When you're born in that cultic system, they tell you what the truth is. Now, I said earlier that I can prove we live in the cult of society. Yes, the way you prove that, look at the educational system. And they basically tell you to do two things. They tell you, when you go to school, they tell you to be timely, be responsible, not show up for class. The other thing they tell you to do, besides staying out of trouble, is to store information. Okay? Internalize information. Now, they give you the information. You're studying history. They're going to tell you what's true. If you disagree, you get a wrong answer. Do you know there's no difference between that and the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society? Now, in the Watchtower Bible Tract Society, they give you the answers. They actually give you the answers. They raise the questions, but they also give you the answers. We do the same thing. They tell you what the answer is. You have to agree with them. Now, what did I say earlier about not being able to prove any historical dates before the 14th century? Now, what these authorities do, it could be like a professor, college, and he's supposed to be an expert because this is a whole society of experts. None of these people are experts, by the way. They're all products of social engineering. They've been set up there as authorities to, to keep us down in the farm. Okay? But what these experts do is they refer to other experts. Some of them are dead. Some of them are alive. And they tell us what the truth is. Okay? If you disagree, then you get a wrong answer. Now, in a cultic system, you have a system of perks and punishments. Perks and punishments. If you go along with the show, they reward you. If you seek after the truth, you get punished every point along in this society. That's how you can tell it's a cultic system. Now, they're not telling you how to think. They're not there to train you how to discern between wheat and chaff. They don't, they don't do that. All they do is ask you to internalize information. We call it memorization. Memorize the right answer. Hold it here. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. What's the difference? There is no difference. When you just focus on information, obviously the Watchtowers is a religious society. We live in a very highly secular society. Okay? But when you focus on information, 
The methodology is exactly the same. There's no difference. What they don't do is teach you critical thinking skills. Now, they never do, do they ever do that in the cults? Are there any cults that teach critical thinking skills? Well, of course not. You're supposed to believe the cult leader, the authority. Well, the government takes that place, you see. We're supposed to believe them. You know how you can prove that Christians are on mind control? Now, doesn't that sound fun? What did you just say, Dave? I said Christians are on mind control. Here's one of a number of ways you can prove that. We just talked about this earlier in conversation. Go back to World War II and understand that all governments in world history lie to the people about war. It's called war propaganda. All governments in world history lie to the people. I called you Lisa. <laughs> they lie to the people about war propaganda. Are we so brain dead that we think that the uh, United States of America is the, is the only historical difference? You know, there's people that actually believe that. Okay. So, they're lying all through history, and they all lie. Now, let's go back to World War II. So you had all these Christians in America in the 1940s. But you know something? They were believing everything the government was telling them about the war. Remember how zealous people were back then? Now, I didn't live back then. I was born in 1946. There was all gung-ho behind the war, you know what I mean? You know how many Christians were believing everything that they were told about the war without any critical thinking whatsoever? A shocking amount. <laughs> you know, I mean, at least 98%. I'm talking about, you know, conservative Christians now. I'm not even talking about Roman Catholics. Well, you know what that is? That's mind control. See that? It's basic mind control. So what does this mean? What that means is we've just proved that at least in one significant historical period, conservative Christians in America were on full-blown mind control. Now, it's after you come out and you say that, you go, well, Dave, that's crazy. Well, too late, I already proved it. Unless someone else can prove that they were thinking critically. Were they thinking critically? No. Um... They lied to us about Pearl Harbor. I'm sure you know that. The whole thing was orchestrated. How many of these Christians were sophisticated to recognize that that was a ball-faced lie? Just like they lied about the Lusitania in World War I. They're always lying. Uh, and these are what's called false flags. <clears throat> they get the weak, to whip the simple-minded people up into... Um, a fear so they can support the war. Now, they use the same technique over and over again because the people do not learn from history uh, because they don't know how to think. Okay? So, going back to, I'm trying to illustrate the most important thing apart from spiritual things is actually learning how to think. In other words, when you approach a body of information, if you don't know how to think, you're not going to be able to process that information. This is why you have all these people in the preterist movement that have not even thought 
not even crossed their minds about these issues that I brought up so far. I haven't even thought about it. You know why? Because they don't know how to think. But these people are supposed to be experts, right? They're experts. Not to start naming names. We know who the experts are in preterism. Do you know how many people are trusting these experts to tell them about biblical prophecy? I can prove that these people haven't even learned how to think. Don't even know how to think yet. Don't even know that they're in a cult. The cult of society. Now, Christianity is a cult. That may sound absurd to you, but the reason that's true is guess what? You ready? Everything is a cult. You see that? It's all cult. That sounds absurd, doesn't it? But go back to the fundamentals. What did we learn about education? All education is what? Propaganda. And someone is deliberately preventing you and me from learning how to think properly. One way to to know that is just, if this was all happening by random chance, then given enough time, eventually there would be some kind of institution that would come out and actually educate people the correct way. I mean, they would actually guide us and nurture us and support us in our personal discovery of what is true and what is not. They don't do that. And there has never been... You know how many institutions have emerged since the first century that have done that? Big fat zero. And nobody can prove that wrong. You see, this is not a theory. Because what I talked about earlier about this educational system and how we are only taught to store information like a biological computer, that's not a theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. That is a fact. You can't prove it wrong. Self-evident fact. But here's the number one thing. Remember I said in a cultic system, no one can think straight. Have you ever heard anyone talk about this? Because this is omnipresent in our culture. Cult. Sure. Cult. Sure. They actually tell us we're in a cult. You know how many people I've heard discussing this? Big fat zero. Now, there's a reason for that. I said earlier, made a grandiose statement, that people don't know how to think. They haven't even got to first base. They haven't learned the fundamentals. Okay? Now, this is a self-evident fact that's going on every day all across this country, this so-called educational system, which is culting. It's not a theory. It's a fact. But here's my point. How many people are talking about this? Nobody. You know why? Because they're in a cult. When you're in a cult, you cannot ask the, the crucial, the vital question that need to be asked. You can't do it because you have a cultic mindset. You see that? And every one of these authoritative preterist teachers 
They all have a cultic mindset. They haven't even gotten the first base and learned how to think. And there's another subject, which I won't go into right now, at least I don't plan on it, and that all of these institutions and systems of belief are all highly infiltrated. They're all highly infiltrated. That means you could have what we call a false teacher. You know what I mean? Now, the Bible actually talks about this, by the way. You get some scripture out. These are people who know what they're doing. Now, they're in all movements. So they're in the futurism, they're in preterism, they're in dispensationalism, they're in Calvinism, they're in Luther, they're everywhere. Why shouldn't they be? Can we measure the motivation and the resources of the Illuminati? Is there anyone on planet Earth that can do that? No. Because we don't have enough information. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Uh, that, that's uh, Linda in the chat room. Hey, Linda. Well, what happened is that um, Linda saw the sign in the sky. Mm-hmm. And so um, she also sent me some money, God bless her heart. She sent me $100 because they raised the rent $100. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that problem was taken care of for one month. <laughs> anyway... Um, after people see the sign in the sky, then I start to talk about things that we didn't talk about before because I can get away with it. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> so, and I have been talking about preterism. I mean, I've been talking about it. And I didn't mean to. We were talking about... Um, she wanted to know about the um, the different conclusions about seeing the sign in the sky. And the one I've been talking about the most is that um, because the, the the moon is small, and when you see a cloud behind the sun, then you know it's small too. You look up in the sky, they're the same size. That means that the earth, which is now large in relationship to the sun and the moon, it cannot be revolving around the sun. You see that? That's completely absurd. So we've been talking about propaganda, and we have all internalized a massive amount of propaganda. So Linda is trying to process this differently, because that's what she's been told her whole life. You know, Galileo was, you know, we know the whole story about that. And we hear that over and over again, just like we hear about all the Salem witch trials every Halloween. You know, we hear these stories, you know, just made up, propaganda. These evil Christians were killing the witches. No, the evil witches were killing the Christians, posing as Christians. Just like Satanists were posing as pilgrims and Puritans in coming to America first in disguise because they're always first in line. God's people are last in line. What does the Bible say? Israel will be the tail and not the head. That's what we are right now, Linda. We are the tail and not the head. You see, if you're conspiratorial, 
You have to apply these things to preterism, you see. So if we're the tail right now and we're going to become the head, how can that not be significant? Of course it'd be significant. You know why? Because it's a complete flip-flop. 180 degrees. Now here's the thing. How can that not be in Bible prophecy somewhere, in the Bible? That kind of a significant flip-flop going from the tail to the head. Now, see, people say, well, we're not the tail. We're the head. Um, what did we talk about earlier? All the chemtrails and the poison water, the poison food, the frequency weapons. Your bed springs are a mind control device, which is an absolute fact that you can prove. Everything in your house is toxic unless it's natural. I mean, it's the only thing in your house that's, that's not toxic is a plant or soil. And, and it's both toxic anyway. I'm just giving people a break. Or something that's actually a natural metal. Everything in your home has been weaponized. This all happened by chance, okay? So I was explaining to her earlier that we are, we've been imprisoned. We're in captivity, we're in bondage. And this is the most significant captivity and bondage in the history of the world on a physical level because of all the technology. This quiet war is going on. So because it's the most significant in world history, that tells you how significant the deliverance will be because the deliverance hasn't happened yet. So it's the most significant deliverance in world history on a physical level. Now stop and think about that. How can that not be in Bible prophecy? It would have to be. Well, if it's in Bible prophecy, then full preterism collapses. Because now you're talking about at least one unfulfilled prophecy beyond the first century. Well, it's not full preterism anymore. See that? So that's what we've been talking about. Yeah, Connie is supposed to be here, but uh, he was there for a little bit because I was talking to James and uh, Erica. Mm-hmm. And we never pushed the record button. Usually we are. And uh, I was talking about some heavy stuff. But it was kind of related to personal stuff and my cat dying and all that. I was talking about suffering. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kept talking about personal stuff, so I never decided to push the uh, record button. Well, anyway, I hope I'm not being too hard on you there, uh, uh, Linda. I don't think you think I am, but uh, you got to understand that um, any time I can bring up a subject or a logical argument that you immediately realize is important just by stating, wow, that's important, because you can, you can recognize right away, oh, yeah, that would be important. But you also recognize that you've never heard a single preterist talk about this, and that's that's a problem. What I've been proving is that these people, when just like everybody else, they haven't excuse me, Lisa, they haven't even learned how to think. You have to learn how to think first in a cultic society, and then you're qualified to properly process the information that's set before you. This is why when people are confronted with information, they're not analyzing it properly. They're drawing false conclusions. But they don't know how to process it because they haven't learned how to think. So I've said that learning how to think in a cultic society is the most important thing you can do 
that doesn't have to do with um, you know, spirituality. And I prove that we're living in a cult. No one can refute that. Because if you're going to refute that, you're going to have to prove that our educational system is not cult. They do absolutely nothing to teach you how to critically think. They just tell you to store information. Like Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. It's self-evident that that's cultic, so it can't be proven wrong. The main issue is, why isn't anyone talking about this? Again, that proves that we're in a cult. Because when you're in a cult, it's a whole list of things. They're forbidden subjects. I mean, not supposed to talk about that. Well, it's the same thing in our culture. The same thing is true with Christianity. I don't know if you know this, Lisa, but we have... First of all, there was a discussion on our podcast, that um, this unnatural terminology of calling Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons non-Christian cults, okay? And I went along for that for years. That's based on the premise that, well, what they tell you, these Christian apologetic ministries, and there are a dime a dozen out there, what is a non-Christian cult? Well, a non-Christian cult is basically two things. It's orchestrated around an authoritative, charismatic leader, and then um, they deny at least one essential of the historic Christian faith. Okay? That's called a heresy. All it takes is one. So, um, if Jehovah's Witnesses had everything right, except for one thing, it wouldn't matter. They deny the physical resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. You, you can't do that. The Bible says if you do that, you're an antichrist. That's right. It says that not once, but twice, in different ways. The, the verb tense is different. It says it in 1 John 4, and it says in 2 John 7 and 8. Such a person is the antichrist. Now, here's the problem, Linda. Do you know how many preterists out there do not believe that Jesus Christ is presently in flesh? That's the common belief. Now, somebody like Jerry will say, well, I believe that Jesus was resurrected in the flesh. Okay? Well, I believe in the physical resurrection. But he doesn't believe that Jesus is presently in a resurrection body. Somewhere along the way, Jesus became a cosmic Christ. Now, Jerry tells us when this happened. When Jesus ascended on high and he was glorified, he lost his resurrection body. Now, a lot of preterists believe that. Okay? The problem is, is the verb tense there, 1 John 4, I'm going there, is the perfect. She said is what? Didn't catch that. She didn't catch it. Um, I'm not sure. He, uh, a lot of preterists believe that when Jesus ascended on high, he lost his resurrection body. He doesn't have a resurrection body anymore. I'd like to know where these verses are to prove that. Because it's using the perfect tense, let me see here. 
Okay. First uh, John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Now, th- what this is going to do, it's going to illustrate an essential, because you just can't make up essentials. You can't make up heresies. Where do you, how do we determine what's a heresy or an essential? Scripture. Most Christians, the vast majority, cannot distinguish between a biblical heresy and a church heresy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to believe in the Trinity. I'm talking about this anyway. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can't believe in universalism. It doesn't have these discussions anymore. Did you know that there's no verses in the Bible that says you have to believe that Jesus is God? Not one single verse. Now, the Bible does come out and say you have to believe this. You have to believe that. Let's take another example of something it never says. Where in the Bible does it say that you have to believe anything about the Holy Spirit? Where does it say in the Bible you even have to believe the Holy Spirit exists? As absurd as that may sound. It doesn't talk about these things. You see? So you can have all kinds of crazy views about the Holy Spirit. If you want to believe the Holy Spirit is an angel, that's not going to keep you from... Uh, and that's another problem with preterism. <clears throat> they believe that we go to heaven. Remember, Linda, that Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. Now ask yourself one question. Have the meek inherited the earth yet? Well, if this is... We're in an armed encampment right now in the midst of a quiet war and we're in prison and bondage. Is this the earth that we're supposed to inherit? No. That means that it must be future. Did you know that Jehovah's Witnesses are right when they say that you will live on a paradisical earth? They're actually right about that. Now, the problem with preterism is they spiritualize Revelation 21 and they spiritualize Revelation 22 and they also spiritualize significant portions of Revelation 20. They have to spiritualize Revelation 21 and 22 because they, all Bible prophecy has to be fulfilled. Okay? If you go to Zechariah chapter 2, it's going to tell you that Yahweh is going to come to earth and live in the midst of his people. There's no reason to spiritualize that. The Abrahamic covenant is still standing. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. God promised it's a, it's a physical, what's technically called is a land grant covenant. Land. Soil. Hebrews 11 tells us Abraham looked for this land. He never found it. This has to do with one simple word, restoration. Have the 12 tribes been restored? No. Go to Hosea 1.11. Israel and Judah will be reunited. Writers say, well, that happened in the first century. Okay. Watch what it says next. And they will appoint one leader. Okay? So when the leader is appointed, that has to be when the, the <coughs> Judah and Israel are reunited. Now what preterists are going to do, they're going to spiritualize that. You know why? Because it's not 
a scintilla of evidence that this happened in the first century. So, as a historical event, did it happen in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed? No. Can anyone prove that? No. Okay. So it's it's just it doesn't fit in with you can't stuff it in the first century physically. So let's spiritualize it. And what does it say? It says they will appoint one leader. So if it's a spiritual event that never happened historically, then we're going to have to spiritualize that too. So who is this leader? Prayers have no answer. And then it says, and they will come up out of the land. They'll go from point A to point B. It says, because great is the day of Jezreel. That's an Exodus event. It didn't happen in the first century. They can't tell you who that leader is. Now, here's the other thing. Remember, all it takes is one passage beyond the first century for the entire edifice of preterism to collapse. There's lots of things that preterists never talk about. And one of the things they never talk about is the prince in the last eight chapters of Ezekiel. I'll talk about him. He doesn't fit in with their prophetic system. It doesn't fit in with futurism. And he doesn't fit in with any um, eschatologies. One verse collapses all eschatologies. One verse collapses all eschatologies. Remember I said that all belief systems have significant error. So what we do, we embrace a belief system and then we attack the others. We go to it, we choose a church and we, oh, oh, my church is better than your church. You know everybody's saying that? My belief system is better than yours. You have an emotional attachment. I'm a Calvinist. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. This is all by design to keep us divided as the people of God. I have the truth. You're wrong. You see this every day on Facebook, people fighting, bickering, debating, round and round in circles. What does it prove when a preterist refutes the errors of futurism? It just proves that there's a lot of errors in futurism. Does it prove that preterism is correct now? We talked about it earlier. That's doing the same thing Jehovah's Witnesses do with the Roman Catholic Church. Anybody can prove that's corrupt, but so what? Does that mean that Jehovah's Witnesses are true? No. So if futurism is um, a dead end, that doesn't mean that preterism is the answer. The reason is because the truth is found in the middle between two polarizing errors or extremes and is rarely discussed. Now, how could that be true? Well, I already proved that we're living in the cult of society. Now, in the cult of society, it's comprised of individuals, and these individuals have just what? A cultic mindset. If you have a cultic mindset, you don't know how to think, you haven't learned how to think, and you can't 
ask the most vital, important questions that need to be asked. You can't do it. Now, I can prove this is true by simply laying these questions out and then asking, are we asking these questions about Christianity? These are a list of vital questions that are not being asked all through the history of Christianity. Now, if what I'm saying is true, then all these great leaders of Christianity, um, they have a cultic mindset too. Let's take one example of this cultic mindset. What Christians are doing all through the history is committing a logical fallacy. That logical fallacy is that Christianity is the one true religion, and all other religions are false. And that's true. Hey, don't you believe that? Well, actually, there's massive problems with that. First of all, you're assuming that Christianity is a monolithic religion. A monolithic religion. Is Christianity a monolith? You just say the word Christianity and just almost everybody. Let me just say earlier, did you know that Christianity is the most divisive, sectarian religion in the history of the world? That's a fact. And the critics are quick to point that out. They like to say, oh, there's more than 33,000 denominations. I don't know if that's true. I don't even believe there's 600, I'm skeptical, there's 613 commands in the law of Moses or laws. Because someone is throwing these, creating these numbers and throwing them out. I'm skeptical. You know, I don't know. You know, That sounds like an awful lot. 33,000? But it's the most divisive religious movement in world history. So you're making an assumption that all, all of a sudden it's just all all this continuity and it's all no. So which group? Stop to think about it for a moment. People say, "Well, Christianity is the one true religion." Hold it here. Don't you believe that Roman Catholicism is false? Or what did you have? I don't agree with what they tell us about history. But what do you have from the creation of Roman Catholicism, whatever sense you're going to put that? Up until the Protestant Reformation, what do you, what do you have? I mean, now, if you hold to the present chronology, you're talking about over a thousand years that's dominated by Roman Catholicism. Question, is Roman Catholicism a true religion? No. No. Now, hold it here. You call yourself a Protestant. Oh, I'm a Protestant. Christianity is the one true religion. Hold it here. Don't you understand the logical fallacy that your true religion emerged out of a false religion? When has that ever happened in history? Never. Never happened. Okay? It was Protestantism a true religion? Here's the thing. If you can't even figure out how to get saved, how can that be a true religion? Now, there you have what's called orthodoxy. That means correct belief. And you have orthopraxy. That means correct practice. Here's what Lisa believes and Dave believes and Linda believes. Yep, Linda, I'm even going to speak for you. I'm going to be your cult leader too. (laughs) We all believe that infant baptism is false. Right, Linda? You believe that Linda... Uh, infant baptism is false. Okay? In other words, you don't get saved through infant baptism. That means that if you believe in infant baptism, 
and you go around and baptize infants, you don't even know how to get saved. You don't even know what you're talking about. Now, I believe that doctrine was created by Illuminati. Can anyone prove that, that it wasn't? No. Don't have enough information about origins. Can I absolutely prove? No. Just stand out like sore thumb. Nobody would believe a ridiculous doctrine like that in the first century because there's no information in the Bible anywhere about how to properly baptize an infant. Because obviously you don't want to dunk the infant, so therefore there has to be specific information on how to do it differently. Should we pour? Should we sprinkle? What should we do? Does it talk about this in the Bible anywhere? No. What does that do mean for infant baptism? It just died a big death. Or you can say, well, there's a lot of scripture somewhere. That's the best thing you can do. Anyway, so we're saying, well, you know, okay, you got a good point there. I mean, Christianity was basically, I mean, if you're talking about institutional Christianity, because that's what we're talking about now, institutional Christianity. You could use the word Christianity in a positive sense. Christianity can either be the biblical faith. I don't problem that. Okay? But if you're talking about Christianity is an institutional religion, then we got problems here. If you're going to say, well, well that's a true institute. No. What we're talking about is organized religion. Okay? <clears throat> we say that's the true religion. All the religions is false. You know what we're saying? We're saying, no, they're all false. Everything is false. The difference between Christianity and the other false religions, Christianity has Christ, it has the Bible, and actually has enough information, if you know where to look, to actually get saved. Isn't that remarkable? These other religions don't have that. So that's what makes Christianity distinct. And uh <clears throat> We were going to talk earlier today. We didn't get around to it. I can absolutely prove swiftly that Christianity is a false religion. And they're on full-blown mind control. I haven't even done this yet. How do you prove that? What is the most important commandment in Scripture? I'm going to put you on the line, Lisa. And Linda, too, and I'm going to say that neither one of you is going to get it. Just like when I ask a Christian, what is the Great Commission? You know how many Christians I've had answer that question correct? Big fat zero. Big fat zero. The Bible says to go into, into the nations and make disciples. I haven't heard anybody say that. They don't get it wrong. Anyway. I'm going to put you on the spot, Lisa. Um, I take a sip of this stuff. What was I just talking about? Lesson three now. Great Commission. Hmm? The Great Commission. Uh, before that. Uh, Christianity, that you can prove it's false. Oh, uh, the greatest commandment. Let's, before we do that, let's ask ourselves a question. Um, do you think 
that the greatest commandment in Scripture would be important? Of course. You don't have to even ask the question. Do you think it would be essential? Well, of course. You see, see how we're raising these questions? These are questions that need to be asked in a cultic system. I'm going to put you on the spot, okay? Now, it's not a trick question. What is the greatest commandment or the most important commandment um, in the Bible, according to the Bible, according to Jesus? What do you think of it? Because I'm going to prove that Christians are completely clueless about this. And that means that not only is Christianity a false religion, Christians have a cultic mindset. This is, there's nothing more basic than this. This is the number one teaching in the entire Bible. You know what it is, Lisa? I can't think. All I can think is to love one another. <laughs> there you go. Now, that's good that you said that. Now, I actually wanted you to say that. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. Uh, would you agree with that, Linda, or do yeah. you have a different answer? She said, I would now, say God, love, and love your neighbor. Yeah, there you so. go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay? Now, we know for a fact that Jesus said that, didn't he? And he was actually uh, responding to a person that was kind of putting him to the test. Let's let's fill this guy out. What kind of rabbi is he? Okay. But guess what? The Old Testament, well, in Judaism, uh, they have a very definitive belief on what the most important commandment is. It has to do with what's called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, it's actually the divine name there that's being mistranslated in our Diaspora Bibles. It says Yahweh. So Yahweh is one. The most important teaching in the entire Bible is that God is one. Now, as soon as we hear that, we go, oh, that's not about the Trinity. Did they have any talking talking about Trinity back then? No. Everybody, now everybody agrees with that. So we say, well, they didn't understand the Trinity back then. So when they the most commandment, the important commandment that they had, they didn't they didn't really understand it. They didn't really understand the most important thing of their religion. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, I'd have to look this up. I'm going to look it up right now. As Jesus referred to that, let me see here. Um, where is it at? Let me see. Okay. All right. Jesus answered. Here's what he said. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these. Now, which did he mention first? 
this Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4. In Deuteronomy 6.5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said, well, Dave, I did mention that part. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, here's my point. And be honest with ourselves. When we hear a discussion about this, how many times in your entire Christian life have you heard Christians quote the Shema like Jesus did instead of the passages that Linda and Lisa referred to? You know how many times I've heard? Zero. Zero. Remember James, we have to do a little study on this. Remember now James, he said, do you believe that God is one? Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. He, he isolated one thing out of the entire Bible. You know what that was? Born to Jesus and James. That's the most important thing. Now, he didn't talk about love there. He selected the Shema. That's what they call it, the Shema. Mm-hmm. Here's my point. Christians do not talk about this. And what is it? It's the most essential element of biblical religion. Now stop and think for a moment. If you can't even get the most essential element of biblical religion straight and it's never discussed as the most important element, how can that be a biblical religion? How can it be a true religion. It can't be. And this shows that Christians can't think. See, they're repeating what they've heard. It just goes round and round. You hear this, oh, the most important is, you know, it has to do with love. And that's part of it. Okay? But the most essential doctrine in the entire Bible is the teaching that God is one. And it does not have to do with the Trinity. Now, the Bible actually has a prophecy about the Trinity. I'm not going to go on that right now. <laughs> because there has come a time when people will not believe in the Trinity anymore. You know, the Bible says that Elijah will come and restore everything. Mm-hmm. And what that's telling you is that everything needs to be restored. And what it's also telling you is that the common beliefs that we have at the present time are false. Now, I just proved that the most essential element of the biblical faith is not even understood or discussed by Christians. I just proved that. So, that's one common belief. They can't even get right. So, we're supposed to assume, oh, oh they have the Trinity. That's, that's, that's true. No. Then the secret to the whole thing is something that you never hear. <laughs> the Son of God is an emanation from the Father. There's a sense where he actually is the Father. But they're separate. He's a separate and distinct coexistent being that emerged out of the Father. That's why Jesus talked about being within the bosom of the Father at one time. Mm-hmm. And why he said, uh, I and the Father are one. 
And that relates also to the Shema. And Jesus also said, He who has seen the Father, he who has seen me has seen the Father. If you go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, it distinguishes clearly between uh, what's telling you that Jesus is the Spirit. Uh, we, the reason we know that is because it says it twice. It says the Lord is the Spirit. Uh, that's not compatible with Trinitarian theology. Trinitarian theology believes that the Holy Spirit is a separate and distinct person. Never the, the twain shall mix. That's direct contradiction in Scripture. So, <clears throat> the Son of God emerged out of the Father. The Son of God was not, did not exist <clears throat> through all eternity. But then again, yes, he did. Only as the Father. This is not modalism, which you'll find in one that's Pentecostalism. That's a false doctrine, that's a heresy, because it goes back to the same old thing. We're talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. Talking about preterists who deny the... See, here's, you know, in 1 John 4, verse 2, it says that you have to believe that Jesus... Uh, is presently in a resurrection body. The reason that's true is because it's used in the perfect tense. Um, in Second John 7, it uses the present tense. What basically means in the Greek in Second John 7 is that Jesus came in the flesh and remains in the flesh. Uh, excuse me. It, it means expresses continued action, but in the perfect tense, it's even stronger the perfect tense means came in the flesh, remains in the flesh. It doesn't set a time limit on it. You can't come along and go, oh, he's not in the flesh anymore. You know, what these people need to do, instead of being so presumptuous, is error on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. Because a heresy is a soul damnable sin. So why don't you just be cautious and go, you know, you're not going to go to hell for believing that Jesus is still in a resurrection body. So why take the risk? Because preterists have another huge problem. And that problem is, has to do with heresy. They don't take heresy uh, seriously. Now, when I say seriously, I mean seriously. Lisa, you've been on Peloton. Oh, yeah. And they are constantly laughing about heresy, making jokes. Oh, yeah, we're the heretics. How many times have you heard that, Lee? Oh. Did you know that heresy is a soul damnable sin? Now, the, the, the critical thing is to actually identify a heresy. Because, see, people are very confused about what a heresy is. It's real simple. A heresy is a denial of an essential truth. Now, the essential truth has to be something that's actually defined in the Bible. And you're denying that, okay? Now, the Bible teaches that if you do that, well, here's what we, what we say. We say, well, you're going to go to hell, okay? And the problem is that's not a threat to a preterist. You go, I, I don't believe in hell. There is no hell. So I'm not going to go to hell. Well, whatever their 
kind of reward there is out there or punishment or something, it's not going to happen to you. If you are a biblical heretic, there's such a thing as a biblical heretic. And a biblical heretic is not somebody that falls into an unfortunate error. Or even a heresy. Okay? Because heresy is just like anything else. Fornication, adultery, lying. And you, just because you tell a lie doesn't mean you're not going to, you know, have good things happen in, in the future. <laughs> I've tried to describe it because, I mean, preterists don't even believe in hell. Okay. So um, a lot of them believe in what's called annihilationism. I don't know if you knew that, Lisa. The bad people are annihilated, like Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what happened to the demons and Satan. And not around them. So the bad, the bad things go away. And the good people go to heaven. Hmm. The Bible doesn't teach that. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. Um, the Bible teaches With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.